I understand. Congratulations are in order, Sam. Oh, thank you very much, Hudson. Uh, what for? On reaching 200 episodes of The Randomizer. Quite the accomplishment, I gather. Particularly as Mr. Jamie and Mr. Richard didn't think you'd make it past week three. Oh, that! Oh, well, yes, thank you. It's been a lot of hard work, but thoroughly worth it. Although it kind of both is and isn't the 200th today, because this episode will be going out after we do the live podcast in Birmingham. So that technically would be the 200th, except that we haven't done that at the time I record this, and anyone who wasn't there for that, which is most people, probably won't hear that one until next week, which would make this week the 200th. So to be completely honest, I have no idea. My deepest sympathies, sir. Thank you. Now, unfortunately, we have had a run of fairly duff episodes over the last three weeks. So, Hudson, I'm counting on you to turn things around today with a proper classic. I shall endeavour to select an episode worthy of the occasion, sir. Connecting to the randomizer now. That's it, thank you. And what was that that Jamie and Richard said about me? One tries not to pay much attention to idle gossip, sir. Particularly from such riffraff as those two. Hmm, good policy. Well, there's the printout. What have we got, Hudson? Would the second episode of the original Captain Scarlet fit today's mood of celebration, sir? Oh, it certainly would, Hudson. Jolly well done. Thank you, sir. So, ladies and gentlemen, we now present for your listening pleasure, Winged Assassin. Which may or may not be the 200th randomizer. Quite so, sir. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. So, welcome back to the randomizer, Captain Scarlet, for the uh, 200th, possibly, as we discussed there, uh, episode of the randomizer. This is certainly the, the 200th I'm recording, so I think this is probably the official 200th candidate, and we open in a hotel room. We don't even see who's in the room, because there's already someone lowering themselves down on a rope outside the window. This is a wonderful intro to a a wonderful episode. We've got lots to talk about here. And there's a a chap sleeping in the bed. I love the... Yeah, that very subtle wind... wind draft noise on the soundtrack as the the assassin opens the window. He's putting the the rifle through this long, slow close-up on the... uh, figure in the bed. I love that he's lying there with his eyes awake, like he's worrying about something. All looks bad for him, but he's saved by Captain Grey, because why not? Uh, Yeah, Captain Grey, quite a prominent uh, figure in this episode. This is probably his most prominent role in the entire series, actually. Winged Assassins, second episode of Captain Scarlet. I I can't watch that that intro, though. Well, that little um teaser there oh first time we have the uh the mr on the threat sequence um which was supposed to be in the first episode and they they didn't bother with it for some reason but i liked that in the captain scarlet versus the mr ons compilation film they moved this threat bit onto that opening sequence so as they're making the threat The assassin is already making his way into the room, and it makes the shot of the director general lying in bed with his eyes wide open actually work much better because he's he, at that point he is hearing the mistron say we are going to kill him, and he's clearly thinking, "Oh no!" 
Um, it doesn't quite explain how Captain Grey manages to get onto the scene quite so quickly, but... Uh, this is Colonel White to all members of Spectrum. It's a very cool. It's a very cool shot of Captain Grey. ...tend to assassinate the Director General of the United Asian Republic. They have already made one unsuccessful attempt on his life, and you can be certain they will try again. The Director General is the elected leader of 200 million people. And I don't have to spell out the consequences if he is killed. Well, it might have been handy to know those consequences for, uh, shall we say, certain later developments in the episode. Interesting there, the the shot of Colonel White that appears on the monitor that Blue, Ochre and Magenta are looking at in the uh, the lounge Captain Blue, you will leave as soon as is an under-control puppet. He's got no strings. Scarlet, be going with you? Captain Scarlet? I should hardly think so. Not after the way he spoke to me. Oh, yes, this is... This is uh, Scarlet is in sickbay, of course. Um, he's still having tests run on him by Dr. Fawn, who's getting very close in his face there, almost, uh, almost kissing close. Well, Doctor, just one or two questions, Captain Scarlet, and my tests are complete. Right, Doctor. I want you to cast your mind back to just before the crash. But I like this sequence. Crash. Yes, Captain. Tell me everything you remember. I mean, you might say, well, it's padding, but it's it's nice that the the second episode of the series is is directly dealing with the fallout of events in the first. And you can say, yeah, Plant of Doom in Stingray is definitely a, con a continuation. And to a certain extent, episodes of uh, Fireball XL5 dealing with the subterrains, they were always saying, we are trying to avenge the capture of our leader by naughty old Steve Zodiac. Um, but this... It does feel like, almost like, part two of the first episode, which I really like. I love the show's attempts at continuity. Radios, but I've got a feeling they're with us all the time. It doesn't always work, but when it does, it works very well. And of course, this is the earliest episode of Captain Scarlet we've had on the Randomizer. We have yet to see the Mysterons. We have yet to see uh, all of this play out on here. But it's nice that we get what Scarlet remembers of it. I remember feeling the heat of the flames on the back of my neck. And the attention to detail here, the sweat on the puppet's brow. Else. No, nothing. As if it's some kind of mental trauma. The blank. I see. And there. Fine. Thank you, Captain. You can relax now. What's I don't think I remember noticing it on, uh, on DVD, but yeah, a puppeteer helping Dr. Fawn lower his arm there. Mind and body were taken over by an unknown force. The Misteran. And this is also, um... You were a robot. Probably Dr. Fawn's most, uh... Prominent scene in the whole series. In human terms, you were killed several times over. Killed? I never quite understood that line. Killed several times over. I have been killed. I don't even have... Is he specifically referring to the fall from the car view? Because he didn't really suffer any injuries beyond that. You are exactly as you were before the episode. Very cool that he refers to it as an episode, though. That is. My tests have proved conclusively... You have retained the ability of retrometabolism. A bullet. This is an interesting episode to look at in terms of the puppets. But after a few hours, even a fatal wound will heal completely. Captain Scarlet, you are still virtually indestructible. I love this tilted angle on Scarlet's face as he uh, gets the news there. They're doing something in that shot, though, that was quite prevalent in Thunderbirds and Stingray and the earlier shows. As puppets are talking, they just randomly raise their arms up and down. We understood. And naturally, further tests will have to be carried out. It happens a few times in this episode. In situation, I'm ready to take a calculated risk. What the heck? If you agree, I'd like you back on duty 
as of now. I'm ready, Colonel. Yeah, I think they, they probably realised it doesn't work. A formidable task. That just random hand lifting in these more realistic puppets. Against the Mistrons. Gentlemen, we have a job to do. Yes, sir. And again, Captain Scarlet there is being operated from below the frame. There's no strings on that puppet. This episode has quite a bit of that. And to be honest, I don't think it, it's quite so successful. I think the under control stuff works best when the puppets are in a vehicle. It works great on the angels when they're in the interceptor cockpits. Same for a, a large majority of the scenes in the, um, it, well, in, in cars generally. But when the puppets are just in a room, and you can you can just sense the the puppeteer working them from underneath, there's a, a a great example of that coming up later. And to be honest, I have a theory, and it's not even really a theory. Please don't quote me on this because I have no evidence to support it. But if somebody told me that this episode was filmed first. I could quite honestly believe it because they're trying things with the puppets here. The under control stuff and the. Your radio link yeah. is channel 02. Lieutenant Green's doing it now. The code call is Zodiac. Repeat, Zodiac. He's just randomly lifting his arm up and down to emphasize the point. Um, yeah, so if, if someone told me, if someone provided conclusive proof that this episode was filmed before the Mistrons, I could believe it because the puppetry isn't quite there. But I have a feeling... With these new puppets, that, and yet somehow it is in the Mistrons. Seal. Again, I have no evidence to support the theory that this was filmed before the first episode, so please don't quote me on that. It's just, it the puppetry feels like it's taken a slight step back with this episode. But it may just be that they're doing a bit more experimental stuff. Anyway, I waffled all over. Scarlet's back on duty. Everyone's fine with that. Interestingly enough, I suppose in in a Super Mario Nation show you can't really get too bogged down in. Uh, well, if this were a real world organization, there is no way Scarlet would be back on duty, ever. But um, here it's like, yeah, you're fine, indestructible. We'll put you back on duty. What's the worst that can happen? Well. For the uh, passengers and crew of the DT19, we've just taken off from. Oh, where have they just taken off from? Level off. Leveling off, sir. But wherever it was they took off from, they were watched by Captain Black. Satellite? Yes, sir. Slight turbulence around PONR, but a 30-knot tailwind all the way. Good. We should be in London for lunch. And these two pilots on the, uh, the DT-19, both of whom are voiced by actors who aren't credited on the show, one of them is Neil McCallum playing the captain, but the co-pilot's voice, and I think I may have discussed this in the route the Director General will Big Ben Strikes Again, because he plays a policeman in that. That voice, Ben Bleak Four. I've seen it credited to Sir Charles Tingwell. I've seen it credited to Martin King. I don't think it sounds like any of them. I am firmly convinced that that voice is provided by someone who is yet to be identified. Identification. That may, again, may sound a, a strange thing, but that voice doesn't appear anywhere else except here, Big Ben strikes again, and I think in point seven eight three, he has one line. And this is very early days of the show, so at this point in the voice cast, established voices weren't there yet. David Healy hadn't appeared yet. Gary Files hadn't appeared yet. 
So I'm convinced that that guy is just someone who came in for these two or three episodes and we still don't know who it is. Because I find it so hard to believe that it's one of the regular voice artists using a voice that they never used again and which sounds so unlike anything. I mean, listen to it here. He's about to say something, I guess. About 1,600 miles from London. With this tailwind, we should be there in 70 minutes. That voice is... Passing the PONR. ...is nobody, nobody that I have heard credited to this show. Trouble on the port outer, sir. And it's one of the enduring mysteries of this series, at least for me. I want to know who this guy is. Got it down. Partly because he does a, uh... A really good job in this scene. What's coming, sir? As does Neil McCallum. In what is, well, one of the most chilling scenes power number two starboard. What? in the series. And um, I'm not going to lie, I have a bit of a phobia of flying. I'm not as bad as I was. But I'm sure mayday, mayday. this scene this Delta Tango, one niner to London control. is a huge part of why. Um, just the idea of being up in the sky in this, this box. And if anything goes wrong... Or in this case, if everything goes wrong, you're going to fall out of the sky. It's just so chilling watching those engines fail one by one by one by one. Oh, here it is. Lost all power. I love it. Emergency procedure. Flick all the switches. Hydraulics. Flicked. Electrics. Flicked. Negative. Auxiliaries. Flicky, flicky. I just love that. If it doesn't work the first time, try it ten more times. Everything on the plane. No explanation for, for what happens to the plane beyond the fact that Captain Black was watching it, but also this is a passenger aircraft. Granted, we don't see the passengers, but we know this is a... Oh, there's three rows of windows. Got to be a lot of people on this plane, possibly several hundred. All dead. All dead. And it's just so... Again, I, I think I've said before, the Mistrons, the first episode of the series, is a... A fine example of the Century 21 team saying, okay, we're not we're not doing this for kids anymore. We're not messing around anymore. This is gonna be bloody and it's gonna be brutal. And this scene is is a great reminder of that. It's not it, it it's not as dark as it could be, but it's there. It's getting there. <sighs> I love it. It's horrible. And it will stick with me forever, that scene. Meanwhile, Captain Grey is escorting... Wave to the crowd. Remember, you're supposed to be the Director General. Somebody dressed up as the Director General. And it looks to me like one of the uh, security guards in the background there is played by Captain Magenta. Sai G. He's just out of focus enough to to make it difficult to tell. Oh, and this is odd. Decoy motorcade. The real Director General will follow in the tanker. There, another odd, awkward moment of puppetry. When Colonel White finishes his line, he turns his head to look towards Green, but it happens so quickly that it almost looks like he's doing a bit of an exorcist thing. It almost looks like his head, you know, turns 180 degrees. But here we are with one of the, uh... Well, one of the more underused Spectrum vehicles. I think this is a great idea, and it's lovely that they incorporate it so early on in the show. It shows that Spectrum are, you know, thinking about their security arrangements. And to be fair, Spectrum security in this episode is, for the most part, top-notch. Are you ready, sir? It's the Yellow Fox tanker. Right. Now. They've sent off a decoy motorcade. 
with phony Director General, while Captain Grey and the real Director General just sneak out the back door. They sneak out the loading bay door and into a, a petrol tanker, which of course we know is, is an armoured personnel carrier. Your personal jet will be waiting at London International Airport, sir. It's a great idea and it only appears in this episode and I think Dangerous Rendezvous. And that's odd. Airport security guards dressed in Spectrum uniforms. By your efficiency, you don't leave much to chance. I guess they must have been quite short of uniforms and uh, puppets. Just give the radio operator the frequency. In this, this uh, early days. Like this is uh, Lieutenant Dean as the airport controller who was in the previous episode. Spectrum agents are concealed in strategic positions. Captain Magenta is in a dustbin on the uh, perimeter of the airfield. And I love that the motorcade crosses over the bridge that Rhapsody destroyed in the Mistrons. And obviously it's just a, a reuse of the same set, but it... Uh, a tanker won't be far behind. It could be that someone rebuilt that bridge. Who knows? But I do love how how we've got Spectrum operating on multiple fronts here. We reached the airport. The Angels are are nearly there. Well, they've just arrived. Grey and the Director General are nearly there. There's a decoy motorcade. Scarlet and Blue are there taking charge of security. One niner to London Control. And yet the Mistrons Request are ultimately going to completely outflank them. To Delta Tango with the... Uh, the replicated DT-19. Ceiling 4,000 feet. You are clear to join Umbrella at 3. Repeat, 3,000 feet. Thank you, London Control. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, Captain Scarlet versus the Mistrons compilation video, I may have mentioned before, that was my favourite of all the Super Space Theatre tapes. I think because it just... You want about 15 minutes. It flowed so well from one story to another. There was a bit of a blip with uh, Seek and Destroy, but I loved... Watching this following directly on from the Mistrons, it felt suitably epic and suitably film-like. Yes, there we go. The motorcade has indeed arrived at the airport. The terminal building. Let's hope our luck holds. And here's another very strange um, example of puppetry. They've got London control. the under-control puppets for Scarlet and Blue. Are you all right, Captain? And, you know, to be fair, if you don't know that they were experimenting with working puppets from below during this era you might just think oh they've they've hidden the wires very well but once you realize what you're looking at the under control puppets in this scene particularly Are you sick they start to look a bit robotic my my head a bit jerky and it doesn't help when you've got the the airport controller and his assistant they're still on wires i'm fine and sometimes you have a wired puppet and an under-control puppet in the same shot. Your brain doesn't quite... It, it, it can tell there's something different about the two kinds of puppet, but it doesn't always know what. Anyway, DT-19 has touched down. The Yellow Fox tanker has arrived. Everything just looks gorgeous in this episode. To be honest, I, I kind of miss the look of London Airport from Thunderbirds, but I also think this looks a bit more real. And DT-19 is parked. They've extended the uh, gangway, or the exit um, corridor tube thingies. Well, your assistance, Captain. Uh, good luck, sir. Thank you. And the Director General is released from Spectrum's protection. The Director General is about to board his personal jet. 
I did it. Gray. Well, everything's fine so far. Hmm. Report from the terminal building, sir. There's some sort of trouble with um, Delta Tango One Niner. They won't open the doors. What's that? They won't open the doors, sir. And this puppet, um, I don't think made too many appearances. I think he. Uh, He's in like a handful of episodes. I want to say he last turns up in the first episode of Joe 90, but you'd be forgiven if you think he never turned up again anywhere. This is chilling, though. And again, it, it points out that there's multiple levels of passenger seating. Dozens and dozens of seats. The cabin. The whole plane's completely empty. So many people just dead. It's so understated, and yet... It doesn't need to be dwelt on. It's in your head. When passengers have vanished. Oh, this is great as well. Because again, I imagine concerned airport staff are knocking on the door to get in and... They're killed too, presumably. People trying to access the plane. Tell the Premier's jet to take off immediately. That plane's a Mr. On booby trap. I've got to stop it. I'm coming with you. SIG, Captain. And this, that's the only point in the episode I think Spectrum Security is a bit naff, because we see that um, the Yellow Fox tanker yeah, is only just now pulling away. So I think that, I mean, if I were a Spectrum captain, um, not that I've had the, uh, the, the days and hours of training that that would take, I would just say, hey, Captain Grey, get him out of the plane, load him back on the tanker, and floor it. Just get out of there. Range, I'll try for the tires. Uh, I think Blue may have made the wrong call in uh, ordering the plane to take off. But to be fair, it's it's a very unusual situation. It's only the second time he's um, tackled the Mistron, so you, know, you can forgive him for... Um, making a decision that ultimately isn't going to pay off. It very nearly does. That's the that's the tragedy of this. Although I say tragedy, it's um it is a bit of a, a kick in the gut when you, you know, see what's about to happen as a result of this. But I think maybe we could have spent more time with the director general firstly to make us care about who he is and secondly to understand those um, those consequences that Colonel White was telling us about earlier, what would happen if he gets killed? Something very serious, but we don't really see it. I'm going to ram the wheels. That'll be suicide. For you, yes. For me, possibly. See you later. I like that. A again, it it's... There isn't much in the way of character development in this. It's an order. But I love that hesitation, sort of... I'm not sure. I might be indestructible. I've got to do this anyway, though. It's great. And I love the effects on this entire sequence are superb. This music is one of my favourite cues of the entire series. I don't know why they would get the General's plane taking off on the same runway as the DT-19. But hey-ho, they're going to try it. And so we have Scarlet ramming the SPV into the tires. This shot is so good. And I don't know how they how they managed to get one of the tires to come off on the rolling road and just bounce alongside the SPV and, and, and gradually drop backwards. I have to imagine it's another one of those uh, happy accidents that occasionally happened with the effects. But this stuff is superb. I love the increasing damage to the, the wheel structure of the DT-19. 
Scarlet's had to sort of swerve off, unfortunately. Building in the way. And it's brilliant because you think, oh, thank goodness he's done enough to cripple the plane. Which he has. But the plane didn't get enough height and... And as I said, it is it is a, a gut punch. It really is, because we've not seen in any Anderson show our heroes failing like this. I mean, we've seen them you know, make mistakes, but not to the extent of they completely failed their mission. The guy they were assigned to protect is dead. Again, presumably, those serious consequences, of which we are not told, are going to be quite serious. But... It's still um, a very brave ending. A brave man. And a brave man, yes. A pity he died in vain. Maybe he didn't die. What? In vain. Oh. It's, it's nice to think that you know, Blue isn't instantly on board with the whole Scarlet's indestructible thing. Uh, Colonel White seemed to be like, you know, gung-ho about it. Yes, he's indestructible. Let's just throw him out in the field and uh, see what happens. Anyway, that was Winged Assassin and Scarlet. I love the first episode of Captain Scarlet. I love a lot of the first episodes of most Anderson shows. I think a lot of people do and you just sort of, you're aware going into the second episode, eh, it probably won't be as good as the first, but... Yo, know, it may be my fondness for Versus the Mistrons talking, but this episode is such a, such a strong continuation of the first. It touches on so many interesting themes that maybe it doesn't quite have uh, have enough time to to fully explore. That I think is is um, you know maybe uh, something you could say about the show generally. But oh, script by Tony Barwick, directed by David Lane, and it's just both of them give so much to what is one of my favourite episodes of the series. I love that Spectrum seems so competent, so professional. They put their everything into protecting this guy and in the end the Mistrons just um, were just stronger and smarter and beat them. Wonderful stuff. 